grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for sending your Son to be the light of the world that would call us to bear his light to others. We would ask this day that you break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. As a kid growing up in Missouri, the closest thing that we had to a lighthouse was the occasional pump house that you would see out in the middle of the Mississippi River. And so the concept of a lighthouse was something that was relegated to things like the Odyssey and the Iliad, and it was the thing that kept sailors away from rocks and sirens, and the things that would cause it to wreck. And it took on this kind of interesting thing in my imagination. I couldn't quite wrap my head around what it would have been outside of the fact that it was in these books, and I saw some pictures, and in reality, it plays such a huge role in keeping people safe. It's not a thing of imagination. It's a thing that is real and tangible. As God comes to his people, he presents his means of grace to us through his word and through his sacrament. The things that keep his people safe. The things that bear light in the midst of the darkness. The things that are tangible and real that we can touch and taste and hear, and even feel. For the people of God in Isaiah's day, they were living in a time of uncertainty and impending destruction. And when that destruction finally comes, then they're left wondering when will they get to go home. And so they are waiting in exile, cast out of their own kingdom, kingdom, and Israel longs to go home. But more than that, they long to be free again. They had turned all of their energy into looking like every other nation, and over time when they had a season of judges. And God ruled through his judges. They looked around at the other nations and they said, well, they have kings, we want a king. God says, you don't want a king, I'm your king. And he says, no, we want a king. Everybody else has a king, why can't we have a king? God finally relents and he chooses Saul to be king. And then in the midst of Saul's reign, you know, he chooses David. And then David's son, Solomon, is the last king that sits on the throne of a unified Israel. 
And after that, the nation splits apart into Judah, residing in and around Jerusalem, and Israel. And they didn't really get along all that well. They lost their moorings. They had lost their sense of identity. And so as Isaiah speaks of deliverance, he speaks of this freedom from captivity in their call home. It is tied so deeply to their identity as a people. that in our reading today, he now turns them inside out and points to the outward practices that they exhibit. We ask, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it. I've studied as hard as I can. I've worked as hard as I could. I've done all the right things. I've said the right things. I have crossed my T's and dotted my I's, and I have followed the law to the umpteenth degree. Why isn't that enough? See, now I even fast. And when I fast, that's not enough. God points right to the heart of the matter. The things that they do, the actions that they are committed to, the way they worship dives into the identity issues that they wrestle with as a people. The people of God are given the instructions that Jesus gives for fasting. He says, when you fast, don't fast like those religious folks do. The ones who have sunken cheeks and they look like skin and bones and they want everybody to know how faithful they are because they have now taken pains to show it with their flesh. And it's not about their faithfulness, but it's about the show that they give. The way that we worship is an expression of how we love who and what we worship. Every single individual, man, woman, child, atheist, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, everybody has an altar that they bow down to. We all have a God. 
we all have someone or something that we worship. For the Israelites today, Their idolatry was in their piety. And the way that they sought to look as though they were better than everybody else. God says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And you oppress all your workers. While you're off trying to look like a holy roller... You're making these guys pick up your slack because you don't feel like doing the work when it's easier for you to look holier than thou. And in doing so, you now prevent them from being faithful to their call. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is this such the fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isaiah chooses his words very carefully to compare them to a reed that is bowed down in the wind means that they are hollow and that there is no structure that actually supports them in other words they are spineless and they bend to whichever way the wind blows and it doesn't matter it's, it's blowing to the past or to the present or to the future, to the left or to the right. It does not matter because they lack the ability to stand for themselves. This is not a discourse that Isaiah gives over stylistic differences. This is a matter of motivation. Fasting becomes a statement about the authenticity of one's faith. And if I can't see your ribs, then you're not quite faithful enough. If you're not exhibiting the right fruits of the Spirit, then you don't really believe. And if you don't speak the same way, sing the same way, walk the same way, talk the same way, if you do not follow the rules and stay in line, then you are not saved. And I say this to somewhat make light of it because it is something that is indeed quite heavy. Something that is real. the inward focus that directs this upon ourselves 
gives way to the wrong heart and misdefines how we understand love. It's about us, and it's not about God. Instead, God says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him? And to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. I have to confess that when I was in college, I entered in as a freshman with the intention of attending seminary. So I entered into the pre-sem program and I took the right classes. And at the same time, not having grown up in a ministry family, not having any idea what it meant to be a pastor, I knew what I did not want to be, and it was like a bunch of these other guys in my class. And so I am ashamed to admit that in four years of college, I can probably count on two hands how many times I actually went to worship on a Sunday. And it's easy to justify because you think, man, if those guys are there, then I can't be with them because those are hypocrites. And you justify, well, Jesus says, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be hanging around with the guys that are holier than thou. You don't want to be with the Pharisees. And it was a pretty rude awakening when I got to seminary and they go, oh, by the way, you have field work, so you're going to have to be there every Sunday. Say what? Every Sunday? Yeah, every Sunday. And this interesting thing happens where suddenly you find yourself having your routine turned upside down and reestablished with something else, and that becomes your new normal. So much so that now it feels funny to not be in worship on a Sunday. not about us. It's not about being a bad pre-sem student. It's not about having the right ideas or the right words or the right answers. It's about trusting the promises of God. It's about Pouring yourself out, emptying yourself, setting aside yourself as God pours himself in with his word, as he pours himself in with his sacraments. 
as he fills your body with his and he replaces your blood with his. And so that your identity ceases to be one in the broken image of the old Adam and now stands in the likeness of a king. And what does this king do? This king looses the bonds of wickedness, undoes the straps of the yoke, lets the oppressed go free, breaks every yoke, feeds the hungry, gives a home to the poor, clothes the naked, and refuses to hide himself from his people. Your light shall rise in the darkness. Or as Jesus speaks in our gospel text today and says, You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others so that they may see God and give your Father in heaven glory. We are drowning in decisions. And we are suffocated with choices all around us, and it makes it hard to see where the complexity actually comes from. The devil is in the details. And it's really just as simple as light and dark. And recognizing the light that we bear is not our own, but Him who shines through us. The God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.